You know that's the sound of another sale on your online Shopify store. But did you know Shopify powers selling in person too? That's right. Shopify is the sound of selling everywhere. Online, in-store, on social media, and beyond. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers inline and online. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash true crime. So many people use dating apps nowadays, but unfortunately, most of the dating apps don't have a ton of security measures to help anyone who's using them. Dating apps can be a breeding ground for any type of predator. People can put whatever image they want out there and things can move along rather quickly. You know, one minute you're chatting, the next minute you're meeting up. It's almost like the person is dating their own fantasy sometimes than what's actually real right in front of their face. Kelly was just trying to get over her ex, meet new people, and her story really shows us that when you get on a dating app, you could be playing with fire. He's texting me pictures of his sweatshirt saying, like, he misses me. He's texting me so much information that you you can tell that it's him, but yet they were from, all these texts were from a different number every single time because he had a text-free app or whatever. So the cop said it's not enough proof. Um, when he said that, I just started breaking down. I was like hysterically crying and I was like, it feels like you guys are waiting for me to get seriously hurt or taken or killed before you take this seriously. Like this is not some boy that's just bothering me. I'm actually scared for my life. I'm Jamie Beebe. And I'm Jake Deptula. On today's episode of Strictly Stalking, we're chatting with Kelly, who was stalked by a man she matched with on a dating app. Browsing through a dating app, Kelly met a guy and they began hanging out every night. He was nice and respectful at first until he began checking her phone and spying on her social media accounts. When Kelly wasn't interested in a relationship, he became unstable, telling her he missed her, getting mad at her, and even contacting her, pretending to be his own mother. He called her nonstop, disabling her phone, contacted her ex-boyfriends claiming that she cheated on him, and then created an Instagram account using her personal information. He began driving by her house, so she tried to get a protective order, but was told multiple times that she didn't have enough proof. Kelly eventually secured an order of protection through family court. She found out that her ex already had an order of protection against him from someone else and that he was arrested for assault in the past. Kelly, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Of course. So what do you want to tell us about your family life growing up? So my family life was good. I grew up in a house with my brother, my sister, my mom, my dad until um, 2017 when my parents separated. My dad moved to South Carolina. My brother moved out and me, my sister, my mom moved into a townhouse just a few towns over. What were some of the things in school that you were interested in? In college, I love to write. I love to read um, and I love kids. So I knew that I wanted to be a teacher since I was young, and now I am one, so it's awesome. What was happening in your life right before you met your stalker? Right before I met my stalker, um, it was December 2020, and me and my boyfriend of two years just broke up. So things were going good. I was um, just about to get into student teaching, but I was going through that breakup, so I was kind of going through it. Uh, and that's what made me join some dating sites to kind of get over it. What were some of the sites that you joined? I joined Tinder and Hinge. Were you dating and meeting a lot of people off of the sites? Well, with 
my ex, I met him on Tinder and we dated for two years. So it worked out. And not that I was looking for a boyfriend right away, but I just wanted, you know, something to help me get over my breakup. Um, so I was meeting a few people here and there, but a lot of the times I also just wouldn't message back. It was just kind of a thing to do when I was bored. Kelly, when you first saw his profile, what was it about him that attracted you? I just thought he was cute. He had cute pictures up there. So I swiped yes, but that's not so serious to me. Like I said, um, sometimes I barely even message back. So he followed me on Instagram and would persistently message me. Nothing creepy, just like swipe up to my stories. Um, so I paid more attention to his profile on Instagram rather than Tinder. It was Instagram that got me to meet him in real life. So when you were checking out his profile on Instagram, did it make you feel more comfortable because you kind of knew what was going on in his life? Maybe friends, social activity, things like that? Definitely. I would, I was looking on his Instagram profile and he didn't have that many pictures up, but it was enough to make him seem real. Like there are profiles sometimes where you just don't go forward to talking with the person because they don't seem real. Um, so with Instagram, his Instagram was normal. He had a good amount of followers, but I still didn't message him back on there often until he asked me on a date. And that's when I asked for his Snapchat. So when I get people's Snapchats, that's when I know, okay, they're real, they're normal. And then I move forward to talking to them. For those of us who maybe don't have Snapchat, um, what's really the difference between Snapchat and Instagram to make you feel like the person's more real on Snapchat? So for Snapchat, it's picture-based and video-based more. I mean, you can chat on there as well, but... Seeing someone's face pictures in real time uh, makes me feel a little more comfortable. And also sometimes I would send videos back and forth talking, like telling a story or something. And he would do that back. So I know he's real. I know how he talks. I know how he looks. It made me feel more. I wanted to meet him more. When did you decide to meet up with him and how did that come about? So after about two weeks of talking on Snapchat, um, he asked me to come over and do a puzzle. So I thought that was different, but I was excited for it because it was different. Um, so that's when I went over and everything was normal. What made you decide to go ahead and meet him at his house rather than go to a bar or go somewhere else? Well, the Snapchat videos that he would send me talking made me feel more comfortable um, because I got to see, like I said, how he talks and how he acts. So, and also the fact that he lived five minutes away. I know this neighborhood is pretty safe and I don't know. I just, I felt comfortable. When you showed up at his house, uh, what was it like? Was his house nice? Did he act normal? What were your first impressions? His house was beautiful. It was very clean. He lives with his family. So he has a mom, a dad, a sister and two brothers. Um, he's super close with his siblings, which seems like a good sign. I met his mom as soon as I walked in. He said, this is my friend Kelly. Um, and then she was in the kitchen cooking dinner. Like it just seemed so perfect. The house was clean, beautiful. We went upstairs in his room and started doing the puzzle. And it was great. His room was clean. All good signs. <laughs> What were your first impressions of like his personality and what was it 
was that first date like putting that puzzle together? So I feel like a puzzle is very, um, like that's like you either get along or you don't because what it, you have to talk when you're doing a puzzle. It's not like you're watching a movie and you could talk about the movie. It's like you have to talk about your life when doing a puzzle. Um, so sometimes he was quiet, but it wasn't an awkward silence. It was more just like we're concentrating. But other than that, we talked the whole night. I ended up staying there until six in the morning. We didn't go to sleep. We just did the puzzle and talked the whole night. I was definitely happy that it went well because I was going on a couple Tinder dates here and there and none of them turned out really great. And I was still kind of going through that heartbreak. So this was exciting for me. Um, do I think that it's normal to go over a boy's house for the first time and do a puzzle until 6 a.m.? No, but <laughs> that's just how it worked out. What was his second date like? When did he reach back out to you? Um, he reached back out to me the next morning. He said good morning. The second date was that afternoon. We went to AC Moore or Michael's Craft Store, and we got glue for our puzzle, like the Mod Podge stuff. And he wanted to do like a paint by number. So like all these things that I was super interested in, he just kind of like made these plans to do them without me even having to ask. So that's another part of I thought it was his maturity that I was like, wow, he's planning all these like really cute dates on things that I love, like painting and doing puzzles, going for hikes, watching sunsets. So it sounds like things were going fast and going well. What was the first red flag that you saw? So the first red flag that I saw was when I went to my brother's house for a party and my stalker didn't go. I invited him, but he had work. Um, and he saw a picture of what I was wearing and it was this gray tube top and jeans with holes in them, like rips. And he said, that's what you're wearing as if it was a bad outfit, like I was trying to like meet other people or something. And I was like, yeah, this is what I'm wearing. Like, what are you talking about? When it comes to podcasts covering mystery and murder, Generation Y is a true original. If you're obsessed with crime and unsolved murder cases, this show has it all. Hosts Aaron and Justin cover cases from all angles. They break down theories, dive deep into forensic evidence, and discuss their opinions in the most perplexing cases. In a recent episode of Generation Y, Aaron and Justin discussed the mysterious death of Jason Corbett. On a fateful night in 2015, Jason argued with his wife Molly at home while Molly's parents slept downstairs. Their argument woke up Molly's dad, Tom, who grabbed a baseball bat and ran upstairs. Tom claimed to have found Jason strangling Molly. A fight ensued between Tom and Jason that left Jason dead with a caved-in skull. Did Tom act in self-defense, or was this a planned murder? Listen to the Generation Y podcast on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, or you can listen ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app. How's the holiday shopping coming along, Jake? Did you get my list? I did get your list, but you know you can't actually have a pony at your house, right? Like, I'm not getting you a pony. Jeez, okay, Jake. What about the diamond necklace that was on my list? Even if I didn't have a credit card balance month after month, I don't think I'd add a diamond necklace to it. Well, you're not alone with that credit card debt. But that's why there's Upstart. Upstart is the fast and easy way to pay off your debt with a personal loan. All online. That's right. Over a million people have used Upstart to get one fixed monthly payment with a clear payoff date. Whether it's paying off credit cards, consolidating high-interest debt, or funding personal expenses, Upstart can help. And they don't just look at your credit score. 
Upstart also considers other factors like your income, current employment, and credit history to find you a smarter rate for your loan. You can check your rate without impacting your credit in minutes for loans between $1,000 to $50,000. And you can even receive funds as fast as one business day after accepting your loan, which is great because the holidays are right around the corner. Find out how Upstart can lower your monthly payments today when you go to upstart.com slash stalking. That's upstart.com slash stalking. Don't forget to use our URL to let them know we sent you. Loan amounts will be determined based on your credit, income, and certain other information provided in your loan application. Upstart.com slash stocking. So, Jake, about that diamond necklace. I'm more likely to get you a pair of socks with my face on it this year, Jamie. Wait, that's what I'm getting you, though. Oh. I left my brother's house at around 11 because I had worked the next day, or student teaching. And... I went to the gas station and a car almost hit me pulling into the gas station. And I was like, wow, that's weird because I live in such a small town. It's like, who's driving like that at the gas station at 11 o'clock at night? And then I pump my gas and I get a call from my stalker and he's like, was that just you at the gas station? And I was like, yeah, was that you who almost hit me? He's like, yeah, I can't believe you drive like so crazy. And I was like, well, what are you doing at the gas station at 11 o'clock at night? And he said he was getting cigarettes. But from hanging out with him over the past like couple of weeks, I knew that he only got cigarettes at this one gas station and it wasn't that gas station that we were at. And I was like, I said it, I was like, well, why would you get cigarettes at that gas station when you never do? And he said, oh, I have to go to stop and shop after. So that was another thing in my head where like I questioned him on it, but still kind of looked past it. What happened that made you not want to see him anymore? Well, it was that situation. And then there was another situation where I was sleeping in his house and he would never, ever sleep. He would always stay up and watch NCIS. And I thought it was strange, but at the same time, you know, people have insomnia. It happens, I guess. So I was sleeping. It was 3 a.m. And I wake up to the sound of, my phone doing like the screenshot um, noise and it was right next to my head. And I like felt him standing up next to me looking at my phone. But as soon as the screenshot noise went off, he like pretended to fix the covers and quickly like get back into bed. So I heard the screenshot noise and I knew he was trying to look at my phone and see the notifications or whatever he was trying to do. Um, But I didn't want to show him that I heard it because I was you know, scared. That's creepy. I only knew him for less than a month and he's already trying to look at my phone. So I just, you know, turned around and pretended to go back to sleep. But that would, those situations kept replaying in my head to the point where I was like, all right, this is maybe a little bit weird. And at the same time, I thought to myself, he's really ready for a relationship. And I just got out of one. Maybe he was kind of like my rebound. As awful as that sounds, um, I just got that feeling like I want to start seeing other people and not feel bad about it. And did you tell him that? How did he react? So I didn't tell him that at first. I called my best friend and I told her about it. And she was like, you have to tell him. Um, And I didn't tell him until May 2nd that I just wanted to be friends. But before that, I feel like he could feel me pulling away a little bit which is probably why he took the, you know, he tried to check my notifications on my phone and he was weird about the gas station thing. Um, 
so when I finally did tell him, I texted him that I really like him as a person and he's done nothing wrong, but I just wanted to be friends. Um, he asked to meet up with me at the park down the street from my house. And I agreed because at that point I still thought nothing too crazy of him. I just thought maybe he was insecure in those moments or something. Um, so I met him at the park and he was upset. He was crying. And I said, I just reassured him. I was like, we can still be friends. I'll still come over. I think you're a great guy, all this stuff. Um, so the next couple of days he would post on Instagram, all these depressing posts so much to the point where I had to go to his house and be like, you have to stop posting these, you know, depressing posts because I'm here. It's not that big of a deal. I'm still talking to you. I still text you every day. Like nothing's so devastating to where you should be posting things like that. Was there anybody else in his life that you knew? It was pretty much me and him, but I would go to his house and since he lives with his family, his mom, dad, and sister would usually be there. There was one night where the Real Housewives of New Jersey was on, and I asked if I can come over and have, like, a wine night with his sister and mom. So we did that. Like, and they were so normal. His sister and mom are so normal. Um, and then as far as friends, he would always tell me about his one friend, but I never met him in real life, so... How did he react when you told him you were still there and he didn't need to post those things? He was just sad. He, I think he was just in his head a lot, so it was a lot of silence. But he said he would stop posting them. And did he stop? Well, after that is when all the crazy stuff started happening because that was around May 10th was the day that I started getting weird messages. Tell us about... When you first noticed that things had gotten weird. Okay. So if I backtrack a little bit, um, at the end of April, when he realized that I was kind of pulling away, uh, I was at his house. This was before I told him that I just wanted to be friends and he went downstairs and I was still in his room. And I get this Facebook message from someone named Anthony D'Angelo, which is a fake profile, but um, I was friends with this, with this person on Facebook. Um, and I got this Facebook message saying, hey, it's Tyler. I miss you. Can you talk to me? And Tyler is my ex, not from December of 2020, but me and Tyler dated from 2014 to 2018. So, and we're still friendly with each other. Um, he's still very much a part of my family. We follow each other on Instagram. He just wouldn't message me something like that, especially off of fake Facebook. So I messaged my ex and I said, Hey, is this you? It's weird. And he said, no, it's not him. Um, and, and that was that, that was the end of that. I did not connect it to my stalker until much, much later. So that was the first weird message that I got. Also, that fake profile on Facebook liked four pictures from a year ago on my Facebook, all of me and my ex from December. So that was strange. And then May 10th came. Tell us what happened on May 10th. So around midnight, I got a text message and it was, all a list of guys' names, like basic guy names. And then there was one name that said Peter, and that's my ex from December of 2020. And it said, the message 
had the list of names and it said, guess who? And I said, no, tell me who this is. Why am I going to guess? And they said, you have to guess. And I said, well, the only name I know in there is Peter, my ex, but he would never text me, you know, with green text messages, which is an Android. So my ex has an iPhone. They would be blue messages. And not that we have talked since December because we, we hadn't at that time, but I knew that it still wouldn't be him sending me a list of names saying, guess who? So after I get those texts, he said, uh, ask me anything. I can prove that it's me saying, Peter, my ex. And so the number told me Peter's parents' names, told me Peter's address, told me um, his phone number, his old phone number, until I asked, um, well, where does your grandma live? And the number texted me, which grandma? And that's how I knew that it wasn't my ex because my ex only has one grandma. So that's the point where I texted my ex, Peter, and I said, someone's texting me pretending to be you. And at that same time, I texted the number and said, well, I'm talking to Peter right now. And he says, it's not him. So that number said, okay, it's Melissa. I am talking to Peter and I just want to know if he still has feelings for you. So I texted Peter and I said, the girl you're talking to, Melissa, wants to know if you still have feelings for me. And he said, I'm not talking to a Melissa. So I was like, okay, this is getting strange and I'm creeped out and it's ruining my day and it's freaky. All at the same time throughout this whole day, my stalker was texting me still with his regular number. So I still did not connect it until there was one text where he wrote the word though, like T-H-O-U-G-H, except he wrote T-H-O-U, which is how my stalker would type. So at that point, I was like, I have to go to the cops because this is really creepy. Why did you decide to go to the cops um, so quickly with it? A lot of times people don't listen to that inner voice and they end up waiting. So I called my best friend, Alexandra, and I was telling her the story, like what happened since midnight of that day. And she was like, that's really creepy. And that's absolutely not normal. So you should call your mom and see what she has to say about it. Because this person who said was Melissa and who said she was Peter, he was Peter, um, was asking me to meet up at the park over and over and over again. They said, I can prove it's Melissa. Just meet up with me at the park. So at that point, I called my mom and I said, Mom, I think my stalker is texting me, pretending to be Peter and pretending to be this girl, Melissa. Um, It's getting creepy. What should I do? And my mom works at the jail. So she said we should just make a report. It's, It's pretty easy to make a report. So we went to the sheriff's office right after student teaching, waited there for a while, and a cop came. And I ended up making a report and I said, I think it's my stalker, but I'm not sure. That cop um, said that he would get back to me. And I left multiple voice messages over time and he never got back to me. How did that make you feel that you didn't get the support that you needed from the police? Well, this was still in the beginning stages of it. So while it was creepy and I 
pretty much knew it was I wasn't feeling so defeated yet. It wasn't until later on that I was that I started feeling defeated. But I did feel like I'm coming to you, you know, for help and you can't even give me a phone call back whether you went to his house and talked to him or not. You know, you're not contacting me and over time things got worse with my stalker over the next even few days. My stalker would send me pages and pages of texts. Because I said, I know it's you texting me from these numbers and you're being creepy. Like, we're going to have to stop talking completely. Um, so when I officially knew it was my stalker, that's when things started to get more creepy. And I left more voice messages on the cop's, um, you know, voicemail. And he never got back to me. And that's when I started feeling like, am I ever going to get help? Or, you know, it feels like the cops just kind of took it as, oh, this boy is bothering her. Rather than something serious. After you went to the cops, did he continue to contact you just as much or did his contact change at all? Oh, it got worse. He would call me on no caller ID, like excessively, so much to where I had to keep my phone on do not disturb at all points of the day and night because it was so excessive. And we would catch him driving by my house at three, four, five in the morning. Um, I would have to sleep in my mom's bed. I slept in my mom's bed for two weeks with her because it felt like I, I was just not safe. And I live in the basement of my um, mom's townhouse and there's a door directly to my room, which he knew about, which just made things even worse. I just totally did not feel safe. Did you think that he was capable of hurting you at this point? At this point, I didn't know as much as I know now about his past. So I was more worried that he was going to hurt himself because he would message me and my best friend and my ex and all these people around me, these crazy things saying like, he can't live with himself if he can't talk to me again and things like that. So I was more worried that he was going to hurt himself or like maybe take me or something because what's the point of driving by my house? Um, so I, I contacted his mom about, feeling scared that he was going to hurt himself. And she said she would take care of it. When you spoke to his mom, was that in lieu of going to the police because the police hadn't done anything? Were you still looking for help? Did you tell her what else he was doing? When I spoke to his mom, I had already gone to the cops and said, I think it's this person, my stalker. Um, but she didn't know that at that point. When I contacted her and said, I'm scared he's going to hurt himself. I also said, by the way, I had to go to the cops because he's messaging me really weird things off a fake number. How did she respond to that? She just said that she'll take care of it, which is something that it, every single time I talk to his parents, they say, we'll take care of it. And nothing ever happens. <laughs> when he started contacting your friends, what did they say to you about his contact? So... When he contacted my best friend, he was still contacting her under his regular profile saying, you know, how he feels about me. And he would send message after message after message. And she said, it's just too much. She has to block him. Um, my ex, he would message my ex pretending to be my brother, um, pretending to be girls. So my ex was angry. He's, he's like, why is this kid messaging me over and over and over again? And he, 
my stalker would call my ex on no caller ID excessively as well. So it was kind of like he was obsessed with both me and my ex and the thought of us together. When did you decide to go back to the police? When he, So from May 10th until May 31st, he would, it, the calls and the texts were excessive. He was pretending to be other people. He was saying that he was outside my house. He was saying that he was outside my room and that he could see me and that he wants me to come outside. Um, and it was so much to where like, I was, I was really, really scared. Like I said, I had to sleep in my mom's bed for two weeks and I'm 25 years old. Like that's not, I should never have to feel like that. Um, so it was at that point where I was like, I just have to get an order of protection. So that's when I went to family court, I got the order of protection, but it was temporary. We had to actually go to court in order to get that, um, permanent. Can you walk us through the process when you obtained the protective order? Yeah. So you go to family court and you sit in a room and they ask you a bunch of questions and you basically have to tell them the story that you went through and then they make it a temporary order of protection. Then you have to go to court where you have to face whoever it's against. And luckily mine was virtual for the first time that we had to go to court. And they ask you, you know, what are you looking for? And you say, I want an order of protection for three years. And then they ask the person that it's against what they're looking for. And it's so frustrating because they get a voice too. And that's, that has held me back so much throughout this whole process is the fact that he gets a voice as well because he's so good at acting normal that it's hard to not believe him. He just seems like a normal person and he's very respectful even to authority. So when we were at court to get the temporary order of protection turned permanent, the judge said, you know, do you agree about the order of protection becoming permanent for three years? And he said, no, that he wants his attorney present. And the judge said, she asked me if I needed to be appointed an attorney. And I said, yes. Um, which is like, you know, free services basically, um, for someone to defend you. And I said, yes. And my soccer had an attorney from a previous case. And he said, I want to be appointed this specific attorney, which is very frustrating because how does he get to choose his attorney? And the judge said, Oh, I know him. He's very convincing. What? <laughs> I was like, are you kidding me? So he, the judge appointed him his specific attorney that he wanted, which is a great attorney known in this town. Um, so then we had to adjourn court until both of our attorneys could present themselves in person, which is another mind-blowing thing that you have to be in person when you get this order in place, uh, which didn't happen until October 5th for me. We've had other guests on the show who basically say that they feel that the stalker that they're dealing with get better treatment than them as the victims. Did you feel that way? Absolutely. I'm telling you, he has more of a voice than I do throughout this whole process. He is so much more protected. And anything that I bring to the cops or the court, the judge, 
anywhere besides the um, the district attorney. She's great, but I mean, they're all great, but you just have to prove yourself. So even though you know it's him and the cop knows it's him, you still have to be able to prove concrete evidence. So if your stalker is very smart, like my stalker, they get away with everything. After your court date, they granted you the restraining order. How did that all go down and how did that feel for you? It, that felt like a breakthrough. I was so happy that I got this order of protection. Um, and they reassured me that if he breaks this order and I file a violation, like that's it, he's going to face the consequences. Um, it was after I got the order that like two days after that I decided to pack up my stuff and go live with my dad in South Carolina because I could not, I couldn't leave my house. I was sleeping with my mom. I was leaving the house with a garden shovel. Like I still sleep with a hammer next to my bed. I was just done living like that. So I packed up my stuff and I moved to South Carolina for, um, a little bit. Throughout the entire time in South Carolina, he was still contacting me. He called me on no caller ID right after court ended um, multiple times. So while in South Carolina, he would message me saying, I just drove 700 miles and I'm outside your dad's house. Can you please come talk to me? And then I was going through Hinge on South Car- in South Carolina and his profile pops up he set his hinge location to the exact town that my dad lives in, which I have no idea still to this day how he knows what town my dad lives in. When you were going through all this and you literally had to relocate to another city, how angry did you get in that in that moment? Beyond fear, but how angry did that make you that you had to uproot your life? Yeah, that it made me super angry. Um, I would cry basically every day. And it made me especially angry when I would call the cops saying this, this guy is still calling me. I have an order of protection and they would bounce me from cop to cop to cop saying, oh, well, you're in South Carolina, so we can't do anything about it. So basically I have this order of protection. He violates it every five seconds of his life. I'm still scared being in South Carolina and there's nothing you can do about it. So while at first it felt like a breakthrough to have this order, it just it spiraled downhill because it felt like a piece of paper at the end of the day. He was still contacting me and getting away with it. When you were living in South Carolina, when did you go back to the cops and how did things work out from there? So I had to come back to New York from South Carolina uh, around July 3rd, I think it was. And that day I went to the, I called the cops and because they assured me that once I come back from South Carolina, I can call the cops and tell them about everything that happened over the last month of my life. So a cop came to my house. He's reading through the texts. He's looking at all the phone calls. Like it was like a 10 minute process that he had my phone in his hand, looking through everything all for him to say, that's not enough proof. And I was like, are you kidding me? (laughs) How is this not enough proof? He's texting me pictures of his sweatshirt saying like he misses me. He's texting me so much information that you, you can tell that it's him, but yet they were from all these texts were from a different number every single time. 
because he had a text-free app or whatever. So the cop said it's not enough proof. Um, when he said that, I just started breaking down. I was like hysterically crying. And I was like, it feels like you guys are waiting for me to get seriously hurt or taken or killed before you take this seriously. Like, this is not some boy that's just bothering me. I'm actually scared for my life. So that cop thankfully told me to write a report and he would bring it to the judge and see if it was enough. So that's when the my stalker got arrested for his first criminal contempt charge. Um, he didn't go to jail for it. He just basically got an appearance ticket and it was criminal contempt in the second degree. Um, that also felt like another breakthrough, but he kept going after that. So from July to currently, he's been arrested four more, five more times now, um, all with criminal contempt in the second degree. And um, the judge in my town didn't know that you can actually prosecute and it's, it's available offense, criminal contempt in the second degree. The judge didn't know that and neither did the cop. So they just kept basically saying you have to just pay money and then you're free. Like you can keep contacting her basically Um, up until recently where my mom printed out the law and she sent it to the district attorney and the domestic violence counselor and all these people to where last week he had um, court again for a previous criminal contempt. And they finally put an ankle bracelet on him to track him. But that is only until he is um, sentenced. Is your stalker still contacting you now? Yes, he is. Well, so he doesn't call me much anymore. What he does do is calls my sister excessively because we had to get his phone records subpoenaed um, to where it came back. Well, first, and, and this is so crazy, first, the phone records came back to an email address, Mike D'Angelo. And the cop said, do you know a Mike D'Angelo? And I said, no. And the cop said, well... My stalker said that Mike D'Angelo is my ex, which I, I don't, a Mike D'Angelo does not exist in this town. Um, but I said, you know, there is a Facebook profile that messaged me back in April, Anthony D'Angelo. So I said, maybe that has some sort of connection. So this Anthony D'Angelo profile that requested me back in January before I even met my stalker turned out to be my stalker. Um... So once we got those phone records subpoenaed and we found out that that was his profile and all these numbers that were calling me were him, he started contacting my sister more. When did you find out about his past? So after getting, okay, so I got the family order of protection, but after a couple times of my stalker being arrested for criminal contempt in the second degree, they also granted me a criminal order of protection, which is a lot better than a family order of protection because it's less work on me and they get a detective involved and they kind of figure out how they can prove that he's violating this order. So I got the criminal order of protection and that was what set me up with the district attorney, the domestic violence counselor, 
and all of those people that are helping me right now. So when I'm on the phone with a domestic violence counselor, she told me, oh, by the way, he has a past. His ex has an order of protection against him. Um, and he was arrested for assault. And I'm not sure if the assault arrest was, you know, by a, a girl or a guy. But either way, just knowing that he was arrested for assault is enough to scare me and be like, you know, he is capable of assaulting someone. Where are you at now with the case? So right now, he just got his ankle bracelet put on, his tracker. Um, I'm not really sure what that does because he's still, I'm pretty positive he still drives by my house. And I live in a, um, a cul-de-sac, so there's no reason to drive by my house. But anytime there's an extra car here um, that he doesn't recognize, he starts calling my sister over and over because I think he thinks that I'm hanging out with somebody. Um, so right now he has the tracker on his ankle and we're waiting until he gets sentenced to like, understand what's going to happen next. So we're not sure when he's going to get sentenced. We don't know that information. I will just get a call from, you know, one of the people that are helping me, um, to update me. So the prosecutor is offering 60 days in jail um, mental health counseling, and probation for five years. As far as actually having that happen, we're not sure because it's up to the judge at the end of the day. What do you want to see happen to your soccer? Do you think that that would be fair? I think jail time is definitely needed. He needs to actually be scared and realize his actions because up to this point, other than having to pay money, he pretty much just gets a slap on the wrist. The judge yells at him a little bit, and he's he's free to go. And, you know, every time that happens, it's, it's more than just he's free to go because that night is always a high-risk night for me, and it's always a night where I'm, like, sticking with my mom or my sister because who knows how he's feeling. He's, his emotions are up and down. Can you describe the impact that this situation has made on your life? It's traumatic. It's something that you don't think is like real. Like it's a lifetime movie until it's your real life. So it's, it's very traumatic. It's very impacting on my life. And even though he hasn't, you know, abducted me or hurt me physically, um, mentally, I, there are so many things that I've had to change just because of him. And so many things that I have to go through every day because of him. Um, And it's all, it's a draining, awfully draining process. Can you describe some of the things that you've had to change? Yes. So one of the big things I had to change is I can't go to the library by myself anymore. Um, There was one night where I've been going to the library by myself for the last five years, you know, from college to now work. Um, because that's a place I love the library. I always study there. I do my work there. Um, but not that long ago, I was at the library by myself. I didn't post anywhere. Nobody knew I was there besides my mom. And he texted me as soon as I left at 8 PM, it was completely dark out. You know, I'm looking around and I don't see anybody. And he texted me saying, how was the library? So that's one thing that I can't do by myself anymore. I can't go to the gas station by myself anymore um, because of 
especially because of a situation that happened the other day where he came inside and stood inside with me for seven minutes straight. Um, so there are just like things that I can't do anymore because of him. And it's so frustrating that he kind of has that power over me. At this point, are you scared that he will harm you or harm someone, you know? Definitely, because he started first with the excessive texts and phone calls and, you know, weird messages through there saying, you know, it's only a matter of time and stuff like that. Um, but the, the other day at the gas station, it, it's now escalated past the phone calls, past the text when he did show up and he came inside and he stared at me for seven minutes. And it's like, how do you feel like you're able to do that knowing there's two orders of protection against you? And he still comes inside thinking that that's okay. So I definitely feel like it's, it's escalating. Why did you decide to come forward? I decided to come forward after the gas station situation uh, last week because this is the most frustrating and draining process I've ever been through in my life. And I feel like, thankfully, you know, I haven't gotten physically hurt in this situation, but I can't imagine those people that are going through this that actually have had that happen to them and they're being met with the same thing. Like, where's the proof? It's like, and, and another thing is the amount of questions that we get asked every day by the people that are trying to help us, like the domestic violence counselor and the district attorney and the sheriff. They ask these questions where you have to tell your story 700 times to them, all for them to say, well, is your Snapchat location on? And it's like, ah, like if I, <laughs> why would I ever have my Snapchat location on? And why would he be friends with me on Snapchat? You know, so it's like, this is such a draining process. And then for people to just constantly ask like these silly questions, um, it's frustrating. And also the fact that the judge didn't know that he could, he could have my stalker arrested on available offense. Like, it just feels like nobody is educated on this process and we're left feeling defeated. It's like the order of protection is just a piece of paper at the end of the day, which is frustrating. What do you hope your story will do for anyone listening? I hope people can connect with it because I know when I listen to other people's stories, I'm just like, yes, like I connect. I feel that. Um, it just feels good to have a connection with somebody because personally, I don't know anybody that's been stalked in my life. So the people that I talk to, you know, they're just listeners and, and that's great and it's great support, but it feels great to connect with somebody in a way where you can say, oh my gosh, that's happened to me too. And how did you feel? What did you do to get over it? Um, so I hope to connect to people as well as just raise awareness for stalking, people just need to be more educated on it. Do you think that if he does get mental health help, that it could help him and change what he's doing? I hope it could help him. I think maybe he went through his whole life without counseling and therapy, and maybe he went through traumatic things as a kid. I'm not really sure, but I hope, he does find the help that he needs and realizes that something's not normal in your head right now. What's your life like now, especially waiting for him to be sentenced? My life now, I'm just very observant. 
I get scared at little things because I never know if he's going to try and do something before he gets sentenced. Um, it feels better now that he has a tracking device on his ankle for now. But I realize that I'm in kind of like a very high risk time where things could start happening right now before he's sentenced. So while I feel a little bit better now that he has a tracking device, I'm still a lot more scared. Kelly, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Kelly. If anyone out there is in need of help or is a victim of stalking, please reach out. You can find a list of resources on our Instagram at Strictly Stalking Pod. If you'd like to share your story with us on Strictly Stalking, you can reach us at strictlystalkingpod at gmail.com. That's strictlystalkingpod at gmail.com. As a listener of Strictly Stalking, please leave us a review and rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, CastBox, or wherever you listen. You can also find us on Patreon for exclusive bonus episodes, early episode trailers, and check out show merchandise. Just go to patreon.com slash strictlystalking. I'm Jake Diptula. And I'm Jamie Beebe. Thank you for joining us on today's episode of Strictly Stalking. <laughs>